good to, good to see you this morning. It's good to see some faces we've not seen for a few weeks as people are slowly finding their way back home. But I hope you've had a, a really good summer. And as Kim mentioned, uh, our journey through John comes to an end today. We'll be looking at John 21. You can turn there if you'd like. Um, but as it ends, so does our summer reading program. I, I hope, uh, I trust that you joined us this summer uh, reading John. I, I thoroughly enjoyed just kind of living deeply in, in the Gospel of John this summer. One of the things I did this year was I, I have an app. If you've not discovered this app, it's called Dwell. And it's an app that allows you, it's, it's a reading app for all the Bible, but you get to choose the, 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 the type of language and type of voice and the music behind it. It's wonderful. And so I just listened to John over and over and over this summer and just allowed myself just to enjoy having it read to me as well as reading. I, I find sometimes my brain kind of, as much as we, we all need to be thoughtful with the Bible, sometimes we just need to experience it. And I found that to be the case. And I hope that the Bible Buddies, kids, I hope the Bible Buddies served you well in reading the Bible this summer. We're going to look at John 21 and fascinating story around John, John 21. And, but as you'll see in a moment, it is this, this wonderfully inspiring ending to this gospel. Um, if you read your reading this week, John 18 through 20 recorded parts of the story surrounding Jesus' rest and crucifixion and resurrection. And then we come to John 21. And John 21 recounts the story of one of Jesus' appearance after the resur resurrection. And once again, this story is only told by John. You don't read it in any other synoptics, of the other synoptics. And so it's unique to John, and he gives us this wonderful story. And a little background that I'm going to kind of bring you into the story. We're not going to look at the whole chapter because of time. But this was Jesus' third appearance with the disciples. Uh, we don't know many specifics about the other two, other than the fact that he did appear to them. This was Jesus' third appearance. And some of the disciples, they, they were all trying to absorb everything that had taken place with Jesus' resurrection. And a number of the disciples were together, and, you know, we don't know what the conversation was and all that was swirling, but Peter said, let's go fishing. It's what they knew. And, you know, I, you know how I love just to kind of experience the story, but I can imagine weighed down and weary of his own troublesome thoughts after his dramatic denial of Jesus. Uh, fishing would provide Peter a needed reset. He says, let's go fishing. All these experienced fishermen, and they fished all night and caught nothing. As you'll see in a moment, it's own metaphor. And early in the morning, uh, someone called out from the shore asking if they had caught anything. And the disciples didn't recognize the voice. They didn't recognize who it was. But this stranger told them to cast their nets on the right side of the boat and they would catch some fish. And they did. And they caught 153 fish. Very precise, uh, John was. And as this story was unfolding, 
it stirred the memory of another time almost the identical thing had happened almost three years ago. The time Jesus first called them to follow him. And that memory uh, awakened something. And, and John, probably the most spiritually sensitive of, of, of the disciples, John was the first to realize who it was. And just on the boat, he just, it's the Lord. And the moment John identified Jesus, Peter couldn't constrain himself, and he jumped in the water, and he swam to shore. The others followed, and as they gathered themselves in their boat, Jesus invited to have breakfast with him. And as they sat around the fire eating, you read the early part of John 21, there was an obvious awkwardness. Um, You see, while they hadn't denied Jesus as Peter had, they had all disappeared in fear during his death. And none of them had, apart from John, had, had really kind of stepped up and, and been. And so John tells us they all knew it was Jesus, but they were too timid to say anything. Interesting phrase. There's an awkwardness. And after, after breakfast... Uh, Peter directed, or Jesus directed a a question to Peter, and as I envision the story, I think it was in front of the other disciples as they just were finishing up breakfast, and and as I alluded to in a moment, uh, just a few days earlier, Peter had disappointed himself, uh, disappointed the other disciples, and most importantly, disappointed Jesus when he denied knowing him. And as you'll see as the story plays out, it is clear that Jesus was aware that Peter was haunted by his denial. It left him paralyzed. And this this once confident person had been stripped of his brash bravado that marked his entire life And standing around that fire, there was an obvious vulnerability about Peter. You know, you look at a moment like this, friends, and and as we just read thoughtfully these stories, it, it causes us to wonder, how often have we made choices we regret that leave us feeling awkward with God? Ever been there? And... You know, in those moments that we're, we're not able to sense his presence with the freedom that God and Jesus desire and let alone hope for his favor. And, and we find ourselves in those moments of feeling spiritually and emotionally vulnerable. Um, as is so often the case, uh, what Jesus doesn't say is as instructive as what Jesus did say. And in this moment, standing around the fire, here's what Peter didn't hear. Peter, I'm disappointed in you. You let me down. 
for all your bravado, at the moment I needed you, you were a coward. Maybe I was wrong about you. None of that. You know, uh, in reality, Jesus didn't need to say it. it. Likely, the thoughts that plagued Peter already. And Peter couldn't kind of remove the cycle and the looping of his thoughts, uh, those very ideas, and he, got, he was just trapped in these cycles of thinking. And Jesus instead asked him a question. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now that is an uncomfortable question to Peter sitting around these disciples. If you're familiar with the story, you would recall that Peter had declared something very close to this the night Jesus was, was arrested. You remember Peter's words? Back in the brash bravado version of Peter, even if everyone falls away in account of you, I will, I will never fail you. <laughs> Yet he did. He denied that he even knew Jesus. And at that moment, Peter was devastated. One of the podcasts that I, I listen to fairly frequently is, is called Resilient Leaders by J.R. Briggs. And in a recent episode of Resilient Leaders, he described times in our life that leave us feeling vulnerable. And he used a, a brilliant acronym, BLASTED. <laughs> um, the B, and it, it's, it's, it's any series of emotions. The B stands for bored, times that we just are indifferent, we don't care. The L stands for lonely, times that we feel desperately alone. The A could be anxious or angry or afraid. The S, sad, stressed. The T, tired. The E, envious. And the D, disheartened. Now, I'm, I'm going to confess something to you this morning. Over the past couple of weeks, I have felt a number of the things in this acronym. Lonely, afraid, sadness, tired, envious of some whose circumstances seemed easier than mine, disheartened. Now, here's the good news. I wasn't blasted. Mine was just lasted. <laughs> No boredom. <laughs> um, now there was a, had you known the story over the past couple of weeks, there was a perfect storm around me. Uh, lingering family issues that remind me of my parenting failures. A couple of disappointing conversations. Uh, challenges, uh, leading grace that stir patterns I don't like to see in myself. Nagging feelings of inadequacy that scream I'm not enough. And being very vulnerable, by, the, by Tuesday of this week, by Tuesday of evening, 
I was out in our porch, and I began to cry. And I cried for a few hours. Um, before I was, I was able to sleep, and um, something was being released. And I actually had moments on Wednesday and Thursday where tears just appeared. There's a wonderful phrase that maybe you've heard before, and that is that our tears are liquid prayers. You know, and, and, and rather than being embarrassed by our tears, we do well to pay attention to them. Um, they often indicate that God is up to something deep within us. And initially, we lack words. Uh, and in, in the, the, the response is, is just a, a, an emotional, very human response in tears. And so I've, I've spent the last couple of days through this week uh, trying to bring some words to these liquid prayers and just asking what is it you want me to notice and pay attention to and, and as, as you all know when I'm at a loss for words imagine that imagine me being at a loss for words right <laughs> um, but in these moments of vulnerability I, I lose my words I turn to written prayers and so this, this week I have a little book I've been using all year called The Diary of Private Prayer this is what I read on Wednesday morning. I'm going to just read a part of it. I'm not reading the whole prayer to you. Help me not to remain content only with what I see and feel here and now. Instead, grant that each day may do something to strengthen my grasp of the unseen world and my sense of the reality of that world. And so... As the end of my earthly life draws ever near, bind my heart to the holy interests of that unseen world. And give me today a clear vision of my life in time as it appears in your eternity. Show me my own smallness and your infinite greatness. Show me my own sin and your perfect righteousness. Show me my own lack of love and your exceeding love. And yet, in your mercy, show me also how small as I am, I can take refuge in your greatness. How as sinful as I am, I may lean upon your righteousness. And how loveless as I am, I may hide myself in your forgiving love. And as my week unfolded, my, my tears released a deepening of my trust in God's presence in a good way, a needed way. Now, we are never told how Peter, what Peter felt after denying Jesus before Jesus' death and then having to face Jesus after his resurrection. The scriptures don't tell us. But it's not hard to imagine that it left him reeling, is it? Um, guilt, shame, 
shattered confidence, vulnerable, maybe even shed some tears. See, Jesus' question, do you love me more than these, wasn't intended to remind Peter of his failure. Jesus was giving Peter language for his tears. Jesus was releasing Peter's heart by reminding him of what was most true about him. That was, that was kind of getting lost in the fog. Peter, do you love me more than these? And yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. I, I love Peter's response. He had enough humility not to fully answer Jesus' question about loving him more than the other disciples. He kind of steered clear of that one. Um, his denial had taught him something about himself, had a little bit of humility, and so he spoke for himself, Lord, you, you, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, okay, feed my lambs. And at that moment, just with those words, Peter must have felt a flood of relief. It would have been so easy for Peter, even forgiven, to believe that he had forfeited any future leadership. And Jesus understood that, so he pressed in. Two more times he asked the same question. Son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. A third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? Lord, you, you know all things. You, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times, one for each denial. Not to rub it in, nor was it to convince Jesus of anything. Jesus' questions provided Peter the opportunity to confess his love for Jesus. And at that moment, it was something that Peter desperately needed to express. He needed language to break through all the stuff that, that had come into his life and, and maybe the other disciples needed to hear Peter's heart if they were going to trust his leadership in the future. And each time Jesus offered Peter words of hope, feed my lambs and take care of my sheep, feed my sheep, it was Jesus' way of saying, I still believe in you, Peter. You have a needed future. You're far from finished. And at that moment, Peter realized something. He realized that he was deeply known by Jesus. Everything was transparent in Jesus' presence. Nothing hidden. Jesus knew everything about him. He knew his weakness. He knew his brokenness. He knew his sinfulness. And yet in the midst of all of that, he also expressed boundless grace and no judgment. He still loved and pursued Peter. Uh, one writer said something this week that I read something this week that just such a beautiful description of this moment. It was like coming home to the place he should have never left to the one who was always there eagerly waiting for him to return. Peter had come home. 
And as the story goes on, Jesus knew Peter's future. Verse 18, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. When you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said, that, said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. Interesting. Jesus, at this moment, says to Peter, you know, kind of like Jesus, Peter was going to be crucified. His hands would be stretched out and tied to the cross beams of a cross he would die on. And Greek historian Eusebius wrote that Peter at the moment of his death, asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't see himself worthy to die in the same manner as Jesus. So Jesus reminds Peter that he was going to make God proud by his death. And after after giving Peter this confidence-inspiring glimpse into his future, then Jesus says to him, Two words, follow me. Peter, since you love me, follow me. That's all that matters. It seems that after breakfast, Peter and Jesus went for a a walk along the beach, and John followed close behind. And curious about his close friend, Peter probably noticed John kind of tagging along. And he and John had been side by side following Jesus for three years. They had been through a lot together. And Jesus counted both as his closest of friends. And wanting the best for John, I I personally believe, Peter asked about his future. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Here's what Jesus says. Peter, John's story and what I do with John's life and death is none of your concern. And then he says it again. You must follow me. Uh, Peter, Pay attention to yourself. That's all that matters. Follow me. Well, this conversation with Jesus proved to be the turning point in Peter's life in leadership. And you only have to look to the book of Acts to discover that. And so there's this inspiring ending. And... But I want us to linger with it for a second because I think we, I think there's a need here that sometimes we miss. And so I'm going to take this phrase, if you love me, follow me. You know, I suspect that many of us read a story like today's or we read other stories in the Gospels about the men and women who follow Jesus And we put them into a unique category that is other than ourselves. We kind of separate ourselves from them. 
And, and we see them in this unique way that Jesus was, was inviting them to something that was totally different, totally distinct from what he's inviting us into. Uh, we've even created language that takes us off the hook. We're believers, but not followers. Um, Jesus in the New Testament knows of no such distinction. I, I read some, some statistics recently. Uh, Gallup reported that some 70% of the people in the United States claim to be believers. Christians. Gallup was curious about that. And so they dug a little deeper into the practices and the way of life. And what they discovered is maybe 7, 10, 7 to 10% of that group would be called followers. That's problematic. Um, you know, we, we invite Jesus into our lives to make our lives better. With little attention, desire, or devotion to follow Jesus in his desires for the kingdom vision and purposes on earth. It's upside down. Jesus' language was always an all-in devotion. His words in Mark 8, whoever wants to be my disciple. Now again, what do we do with that word? We say, well, that's for good, good for those who want to be disciples. I'm not sure I want to be one of those. I'm okay being a believer. Jesus calls all of us to be disciples. And Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. See, Jesus seeks disciples devoted to following him in his kingdom vision and his kingdom way of life. So here's, here's the compelling question for us. Why is this so challenging for us? Why do we distance ourselves from this? In Mark 4, and you don't have to turn until you can look at it later, Jesus told a parable to illustrate how responsive we are to spiritual truths about following Jesus and life in the kingdom. It's called the parable of the soils. And the human heart is described in terms of different soils and the types of soil conditions that we grow seed in and the seed that he talks about are the spiritual truths found in the scriptures that are planted into our lives. And see if you find yourself in one or more of these. Uh, he talks about hard soil. 
And hard soil are, are people in whom, whom the seed is planted and Satan comes and takes the seed before it takes root. There's a whole spiritual warfare dimension to this that we, we don't talk enough about today. And the enemy just prevents it from happening and steals it before it begins to take root. Jesus talked about rocky soil. Now he starts getting a little bit more, he's meddling now. These are people who gladly receive spiritual truth. They're glad to show up Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, receive more, be taught more, gather all they can gain, but their gladness is short-lived. As soon as following Jesus becomes a little difficult, and you feel vulnerable, or when there's a cost to following Jesus, they pull back or walk away. Devotion to Jesus was pretty shallow. He talked about thorny soil. That we could also call this distracted soil. Um, our lives don't produce fruit. We don't follow well because we're so distracted by other desires. Um, off the top of the list, affluence, material things, financial stability, financial security. And these distractions choke the life right out of our spiritual vitality. I read, I read recently someone describing our, our challenge with affluence, and, and the writer used this word, a captivating prosperity. We're too preoccupied. There's too many things to worry about, too many things to play with. All our pursuits and all our options keep us so busy, there's not much space left for God. And, and so well-intentioned people become so caught up in so much of everything that following Jesus gets complicated. I'd like to expand Jesus' parable with a few more soils. Not that these are inspired, of course. I've experienced this. Depleted soil. Weariness, fatigue. Maybe you're worn down by serving others without paying attention to the health and well-being of your own soul. Worn down by chronic stress worn down by chronic health issues or chronic relationships, your soul feels empty, depleted, and following Jesus, you just don't have the energy to do it. Depleted soil. Uh, here's another kind of soil. Good one today. Disillusioned soil. Disillusioned by scandals, uh, by prominent pastors and spiritual leaders disappointment and hurt by trusted friends or pastors in the church, disillusioned by the culture at large with its moral confusion and decline. decline. It's disillusioned. And where I found myself this week, disheartened soil. We lose our confidence. We lose our hope. We, we can no longer see that there's a viable, meaningful place 
from me and maybe created by what we see or don't see in our own spiritual progress or maybe by what we see or don't see in the lives of people you've tried to love and serve well. And it leaves us disheartened. See, any of those soils, and maybe you have found yourself in one or more of those soils, and you say, that's kind of where I'm at today. All of them complicate following Jesus well. And then, of course, Jesus says, of course, there's good soil. Good soil. And good soil is, is able to embrace spiritual truths in the midst of all the stuff that distracts us and consumes us. We were able to stay centered in focus. We follow Jesus well and our lives become wildly fruitful. If you love me, follow me. So as we come to the end of the Gospel of John, I think that's the invitation for all of us from John's gospel. You remember where we began? John was concerned about who is this Jesus? Who is he? Is he claims is he who he claims to be? If he is, we do well to believe in him. But John doesn't stop there. He says, if you love him, you will follow him. If you believe me and love me, you will really follow me because at the end of the day, that's what really great way to end this study. So as we leave this summer season and we come into the fall season, friends, we have the opportunity to follow Jesus with renewed confidence and courage. And that's my challenge to all of us this morning. See, today, this morning, this week, each of us in this room have the opportunity to turn a new chapter. Make a new beginning. Like Peter. Peter's story is our story. And that moment changed Peter's life dramatically. Because Peter, Peter said, I, I do love you and I will follow you. Next week, we're going to begin talking for a number of weeks about the practices that enable us to follow Jesus well. What does this look like? I hope most of you would say, yeah, I, I love Jesus. I, I believe, I, I hope you'd say, I believe in Jesus. If not, that is the beginning point. But then I hope you would say, and and I really do love Jesus. And I hope you would say, 
follow Jesus. And we'll take a look at what that means and what that looks like and how do we keep our soil fertile and fruitful and and how do we mature as a community of of people who follow Jesus and, and how do we disciple other people to follow Jesus? And we're gonna set the course for the next chapter of Grace Church. But the big idea is going to be people who follow Jesus. So, would you join me in a word of prayer? Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for the ways you restore us to a productive life as we follow you. No matter how badly we've let you down, no matter how we've failed you, no matter how far we've drifted, you're always there to forgive, always there to restore, to give us hope for our future. We do love you. We we love you for redeeming us. And we love you for the abundant life you give us. We, We love you for calling us to follow you. We love you for the privilege you give us to work with you in building your kingdom. And we love you for teaching us and guiding us and leading us. We love you for being patient when we're slow to learn. We love you for pursuing us and believing in us, fighting for us. And dear Jesus, from this posture of love, may we fully devote ourselves to what really matters, following you well. Thank you, Gary. Let's stand together and respond with this song to Jesus' call to follow him. Abounds in deep 
Thank you. I'm going to ask you to be seated just for a moment, unless you are a student this year. I need my elementary school students to come forward. You get to be right up here. And then I need my middle school students and please, high school, I'm gonna beg you, could you please humor me and just come forward? I know I see the nose, thank you very much, please. Um, also, I have some um, students that are in college 
And I have non-traditional students. Yes, I see you, Heidi. So all of you, uh, would you come forward? And as they're coming forward, and I like that some of them are already facing out, I'm going to ask us, church body, we have a tradition of blessing our students and our teachers and our families at the beginning of every school year, which is my great delight and privilege. And um, I want to ask you, as they're all up here and getting all settled down, when you, I just had an idea this morning, when you see a school bus pass you on the road, or when you pass by a school, can I ask you to join me in praying for all of these students? These are disciples of Jesus, and they are part of our church body. And we want to be blessing them constantly and praying over them and what they're learning. So can I ask you, when you see that, would you just join me and have that kind of visual to remember to pray over them. All right, if you're a student, can you turn around and look at me for a minute? Cause I get to bless you this morning and I'd love to see your faces. Oh, thank you so much for coming up. I know some of you really didn't want to. <sighs> okay, a new school year. This year on uh, Thursday, Fayette and Coweta have their first day of school. So let's go. So students of grace, it is my joy and delight to get to bless you. We are so excited as you go out, know that you are not alone. Our God goes with you. Whether you are going into a, a school, public school building, a private school building, whether you're going to co-op or homeschool, the living room, wherever you are going into your college classes, would you know that God goes with you? He is beside you. He is for you. He is with you. He is reminding you and equipping you of what you need to know. When you have that moment and think, oh no, I can't remember this. Yes, you can ask God to help you. He is ever present with us. He is compassionate. He is gracious. His understanding has no limit. Call out to him. He is getting you ready for the job that he has designed for you. And it brings him great delight when you learn. Keep learning in everything you do. Do it with all of your heart because you're doing it for the Lord, not for man. And he sees you and he is proud of you and he loves you. And we love you so much and are cheering you on. And now if you are a student in any, or a teacher in any capacity, stand up please. If you are a public school teacher, if you are a homeschool teacher, if you are a dance teacher, what, if you are working with the students in our church, if you are volunteering in schools, and I also ask if you are on staff at Grace working with the students, would you please stand up? Teachers, as we go forward, may we be filled with creativity and compassion. May God give us an ample amount of patience and love and grace. May we know that we've been called to this position for this time to these people, that we would love them well and show God's love to others. Thank you for the ways that you are serving your God in each capacity that you are called to. And now full body of grace, can we all stand up together? Because body of grace, we are called, each one of us, all the time to be ever learning. Students of the word. 
May we commit ourselves more this semester to follow our rabbi so closely and learn the ways that he wants us to live. May we apply what he's showing us, that we would be agents of compassion and love and grace, and that we would preach his faithfulness to a whole world that's watching. Would we be a people that follow him so well that we pull the kingdom of God to earth because we're following Jesus. Go forward, Grace. Learn as much as you can, but then love as deeply as you can because of it. You are dismissed.